Let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 51. Two things I failed to mention this morning. The rose is uh, for the birth of the Marco baby, James Paul. Mother and son are doing well. Uh, and uh, if you look in your worship folder uh, at the session meeting, we took in a new member, Robin Gwaltney. Um, she is uh, um, she's a new mother too, so um, life is busy for her with two little ones at the house now. So uh, when she's here, I'll make sure that she stands up and you can all uh, greet her uh, when she's here. So Psalm 51, if you're able, would you stand with me? Today we'll be dealing with verses 3 through 9, so I'll read a little bit more than that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, come upon us, we would ask, with your Holy Spirit, that our eyes would be open, that we might not just read the words and, and hear them and, and know that they're on the page, but that they would penetrate our hearts and our minds, opening an, us to an understanding of what your word says, to the great gifts that you have for us, Lord, that we might live in accord with your word and your will. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So today I'll read uh, verses 1 through 9 uh, of Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, I have sinned, and done what is evil in thy sight, so that thou art justified when thou dost speak, and blameless when thou dost judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, thou dost desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part thou wilt make me no wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now I have a a problem that maybe some of you face every morning. And that's the problem when I wear something that is light-colored. Okay, it, does, it seems like I can't get out of the house with either dog goober or coffee or something that, that hits, you know, it, I might have dark pants and a white shirt on, but there's some spot on my white shirt that before I leave the house, it has hit me. Okay, and, and, and I don't know, you know, or, or by the time I, I come in the door of the church, I've brushed up against the car and I've got a big dark stain on my pants you know that's one of the joys of wearing dark colored clothes is you can't see all those stains I'm sure they're still there but I just can't see them now I know that there are remedies to my problem and I have seen these and and it's the the Tide pen or the Clorox pen that um, I don't know maybe some of you have one in your pocket uh, or or in your purse or something and if you read there are six steps to using that pen you thought it was just put it out and go like this. But no, if you read the instructions, which I don't usually do for anything, um, there are six steps to make it work. Now, I'm not going to give you those steps. Just to know if you want the stain out, you've got to follow all six. Okay? Now, the Consumer Reports, 
you know, that, that famous uh, whatever they are that tests everything. They have come out with a little booklet entitled How to Clean Practically Anything. So it tells us what solvent to use. As an example, glycerin will remove the stain from a ballpoint pen. Boiling water will remove berry stains. Vinegar will remove crayon stains. Ammonia will remove blood stains. Alcohol will remove grass stains. Um, Hydrogen peroxide is good for magic marker stains. Use bleach on mildew stains. Lemon juice works well on rust stains. But the little booklet doesn't list anything that will get out that worst stain of all. A stain of sin. Okay, the stain of sin. But, but our, our hymnal tells us how to get it out, right? What can wash away my sin? Nothing, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, it's so strange... To think here we have, um, what, what was good? Ammonia will remove blood stains. Well, if you've got a stain and you want to get rid of it, you use the thing that most people think stains, which is blood. But it is this blood of Christ that washes away this stain that we have in our lives called sin. Now, the stain of sin is a lot tougher to deal with than magic marker or dirt or red wine or anything like that because Nothing made by human hands can get rid of that stain that touches each of us. And it's not just us, but its effects are clearly seen throughout all of creation. No amount of club soda can get rid of that stain of sin. The washing away of sin begins with confession. And here we are in Psalm 51, where David has confessed his sin. He knows who he has sinned against. He knows why he has sinned and how that sin can be cleansed. And that's what we're going to find in our segment here in Psalm 51, beginning in verse 3. Let's look at verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So true confession. If you're going to confess to the Lord, you have to own up your sin. You have to say, it is my sin, I have done this, it belongs to me. I acknowledge my transgressions. That's what David says. David doesn't blame anybody else. Now, we have seen this in Scripture in other places, where people will blame others for their sin, and all we have to do is go back to the very first one. And Adam said what? It's that woman you gave me. Okay, not only was it the woman, but it was the woman that you gave me. And then what does she do? Well, it was the serpent. It's not my fault, okay? But yes, it was their fault. I mean, there's only two people, and they're shifting blame. We've never done that. We've never shift blame, okay? But understand, God is glorified when we take responsibility for our actions, when we own up to the things that we have done. And all we have to do is go, I won't, we won't turn there. I'll just tell you, tell you what happened. Joshua chapter 7, this is after um, Jericho has fallen. And the next town in line is Ai. Okay? And they go up there and the Israelites get defeated. So they come back and they have this great time of seeking the Lord and, and putting themselves before the Lord. And, and they're, they're sin in the camp. So they march all the tribes through. They march all the families through. Everybody. And it came, comes to one guy. And this is what it says. Give glory to God and confess your sin. Okay? So they're in confession of your sin... God is glorified. God is honored when you take responsibility for your own sin. 
If you try to shift blame, if you try to put it off on others, I mean, we can blame others and we can blame God and we can blame Satan and we can blame the dog for eating our homework. Whatever you want to do, shifting blame does not glorify God. Taking it upon ourselves and saying, yes, Lord, this is my fault. God is glorified in that. Remember the prodigal son. We've looked at this before. He says what? I've sinned against God and against you, Father. He didn't try to shift it off on anybody else. He says, I have done this. I have done this. True confession accepts total responsibility. If your confession is, Lord, I know I did this. Now, if, if your confession is, Lord, I know I did this, but, but you allowed me to get into this situation. Okay? You, you knew I was weak in this area, and you allowed my eyes to fall on this. Or you brought that person into my life, and you knew it was a problem for me, but you went ahead and did it anyway, God. So I'm not going to take the whole responsibility for this. Some of it has to be yours. So you've, you've questioned God's holiness, and now you've got more sin to confess. Okay? The thief on the cross looked over at the other thief and said, Hey, the guy in the middle doesn't deserve this. We do. He understood his sin, and he took responsibility for it. Confession demands us taking responsibility for our sin. I mean, this is the most basic, the first and most basic step if we're going to deal with our sin, if we're going to uh, repent of our sin, we have to know it is our sin. Jesus says what? I didn't come for the healthy. I didn't come for those who don't think they're sinners. Remember, the, the Pharisees had this problem. They thought that they were holy. And Jesus says, like the physician, I've come for the sick people. Okay? They understand their need for sin. Here you have the, the Pharisee, and he stands in one side, and he says, Oh, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy over there, that, that dreaded tax collector. He says, I tithe, and I give, and, and all this. And the tax collector said, What? Forgive me, Lord, a sinner. Who walked out justified that day? The tax collector. He understood his sin. Jesus says, I've come for people who understand their sin. If you're sitting there today going, oh, the, what, what, what's he mean by this? It understands my sin. And, and we each have this, this voice. It is the voice of the Holy Spirit crying within us, calling to us and saying, hey, you've got, you got this issue. You have to deal with it. Don't silence that by saying, well, really, Lord, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. If it's your fault, take responsibility for it. Don't attempt to silence the voice with anything else but the confession of your sin. Next, verse 4. Against thee, thee only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak, blameless when you judge. Now, David has reached a very mature spot in his spiritual life here. He's taken responsibility for his own sin and he understands that it was against God that he had sinned. David knew who he was. He knew who God was and he takes responsibility for this. Now he understands this is not to minimize that he has sinned against Bathsheba. He has sinned against Uriah. He has sinned against all of Israel because all of Israel will suffer because of David's sin. He understood that. But first and foremost, his sin was against our Heavenly Father, because He is holy and, and just can't, sin is not tolerated in His presence. And His actions, David's actions, were sinful because they offended the character of God. They offended the character of God. For God is holy. And all sin, whether it's against our neighbor, whether it's against our spouse, whether it's against somebody we don't even know, it is first and foremost a sin against God, against His 
holiness. God is good and we are not. God is holy, we are not. And David says, against you, Lord, I have sinned. But better still, David acknowledges that God is justified in condemning him of his sin. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we just went to the Lord and said, Lord, I have sinned and I confess my sin to you. And and what's, what's the modern phrase? And now let's just move past it. Okay, let's just go on and leave it behind us. And But David says, you're justified in your punishment. Add that to your confession of sin and see if that changes your attitude. Are you really to say, Lord, I have sinned and you are justified to bring whatever punishment on me that you see fit. Now, don't pray that thinking, well, yeah, but we're forgiven in Christ and, and you know, God will mitigate all those circumstances in my life and I won't face that. You know, just the confession of our sin doesn't mean we're not going to face the consequences of it. Okay, and David faces a lot of consequences for his sin. He says, and Lord, you're justified in bringing those consequences upon me. And unfortunately, the whole nation of Israel suffers because of David's sin. He agrees with God. He agrees with God's verdict. I am guilty. I am guilty. He accepts, accepts the justice. He accepts the Lord's condemnation if he wants to do so in David's life. Now, real repentance in our lives is when we see our sin, when we own it, when we say, God, you're justified in doing whatever you see fit to me. But, you know, there are the difference between our sin, which the Lord forgives, and our sins, which we continue to commit. Now, our sin, we are justified because of the work of Christ. And that sin that we deserves damnation, that's forgiven. But, you know, there are things that we do in our life that we, we have to seek God's forgiveness for, but that does not mean we will not face the consequences of our actions and of our mistakes and of our sins. Next one, number three. Verse five. David confesses the source of his sin here, and in, induce, in so doing, he gives us one of the clearest doctrinal statements on sin that we find anywhere in Scripture. Verse five. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, that doesn't mean his mother did a sinful act at that time. But what he was talking about here is at his conception, David was sinful. It did not take David being born and doing something bad for him to be considered sinful. It was at that moment when David was just this big in his mother. Then he was sinful. He was sinful from that moment on. Now, sin comes... Now, there are people... I I know seminary was 20 years ago, but I got a lot of this in seminary. Okay, That sin is a result of the structures of society. It's a result of oppression. This view comes from uh, what, what grew up in the 60s and 70s is known as liberation theology. It came from Central America and this mixture of... Um, Marxism and Roman Catholicism, and it, it crept into places in this country. And basically, it said if you can change the structures of society, then you can change oppression, and without oppression, there will be no sin. 
So the thought was, change society. Well, that discounts what David has said here in the fact that I was sinful from the moment of conception. It is not something that comes from outside of us. It is something that dwells in our human hearts. Uh, We talked a little bit about in in Sunday school, and and, uh, I didn't do any homework between Sunday school and here, but I'll mention it again. There was a a psychologist, B.F. Skinner, and he, I believe he raised one of his kids to keep them away from society, and he would only give them certain inputs in his life uh, in a hope that he could raise a good child. You know how his child turned out? Just like everybody else. Okay? Why? Because the sin is here. It's within our hearts. It's who we are. It's, it's just a, it's, it is a result of who we come from. Now, from our, 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 our unison reading, we read from Romans, If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, it's kind of not fair, we think, that why should I pay for somebody's sin who I didn't know, somebody years and years and years and generations and millennia ago, why does it affect me? He's our federal head. We all come from him. David says, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin my mother conceived me. At that moment of conception, I was sinful. So David's point is that we need saving because of who we are. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are. There's no time in our physical existence when we did not need the saving blood of Jesus Christ. Not when we were infants, not when we were teenagers, not when we were adults. There is no time that we have been free from the stain of sin. We are not sinful because we sin. We sin because we're sinful. You got that? We're not sinful because we sin, but we sin because we are sinful. Psalm 58 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth. We go back to Genesis chapter 8, right after the flood. It said, The Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. His heart. It's the heart issue. Paul makes it clear we're dead in our trespasses. It's us. It's not anything from the outside. It is simply our nature to be this way. Number four. Verse six. Behold, thou dost desire truth in the inmost being and in the hidden part. You'll make me no wisdom. So David admits here in verse 6, he he admits the holiness of God and that God desires truth where? Just in our external things? If we go around saying the right thing and doing the right thing, is that what God wants? No. He wants a change in our hearts. The change comes from his grace, but there has to be an internal change. Remember, even Jesus deals with this later in the New Testament. He says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Well, but yeah, but I didn't do that. Yeah, but I thought about that. What's the difference? Jesus said sin is sin. Sin is sin. So God is really less concerned with our external behavior at this point and more concerned with what's going on on the inside. He's not 
unconcerned about our external behaviors. We'll get to that in a moment. He's more concerned here about what goes on on the inside. He says, you desire truth in the innermost being. In the hidden part, you'll make me know wisdom. In the inner parts. See, God, I know you don't desire a process of external ceremonial purification. The prophet says what? Rend your heart not your garment. See, it was very common in Old Testament times to show how you you were sorry and how you were suffering. You'd go sit in ashes, you'd sit in sackcloth, you'd take your clothes and you'd make a big show of it and tear your clothes in public so everybody could see how sorry you were and how repentant you were. And God says, I want to see it in here. I want to know your heart is sorry. I want to know that you are, are broken before the Lord. There's where real repentance has as its beginnings. See, God is holy and true confession recognizes that God's not so concerned about what we do on the exterior concern in this issue as he is on the inside. You might look good on the outside, but your insides are still pretty nasty. God is not going to be excited about that. Remember, Jesus says about the Pharisees, he calls them whitewashed tombs. Sparkly. If you've ever been to Israel looked out over the hillside when the sun hits those tombs. When it says whitewashed, that's what they look like. The sun is so bright off of those tombs, but inside there is nothing but death. Jesus says that is not what the Lord wants. He does not want that. You might say, hey, I read my Bible more than anybody else, but if it doesn't show in your life, it means nothing. James says it's like the guy who looks at himself in the mirror, sees his face, and when he walks away, he forgets what he looks like. It has to penetrate here. It has to change here. An absolutely holy God demands holiness in our lives as individuals. Clean the inside because once the inside is clean, then you can work on the outside. He's not unconcerned about the outside. He wants the inside clean first. Now, there's a certain view within the church. Within the church. Uh, I don't hold this view um, But some do, and I don't believe it's correct. There's a certain view in the church that when it comes to dealing with lingering sin in the life of the believer, the solution is not to focus on confession, it's not to focus on repentance, it's not to have discipline in their lives, but to focus exclusively on God's grace. So rather than dealing in a biblical fashion with sin, the, the argument is that salvation releases us from any external expectations of obedience to God's law and that God's grace takes away guilt and all of these things so basically what they're saying is that if you're caught in sin it's not your fault it's your striving for holiness it's your striving to be uh, Christ-like that brings this guilt and if you just stop striving and, and, and experience God's grace you wouldn't have this guilt I don't hold to that. Because holiness is not an option for the believer. You have to strive for holiness. You have to strive to put away the old and move to the new. Put on, Take off the old clothes and put on the new. And, and life like that conforms more and more to the things of Christ. But you can't just talk about how great God's grace is. It is great. But his expectations upon our lives then demand holiness. They demand a conformity to his word. God's grace does not mean holiness is an option. For the believer, holiness is never an option. 
and our holy lives are lived to his glory and to his praise. So let's look at the next one. Verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, hyssop was a bush, and if we look at uh, the Old Testament, it was often formed into a broom, especially at Passover time, and they would sweep their houses out to get rid of all the what? All the leaven, okay, in remembrance of the quick trip that they had at the Exodus, and they would use a hyssop broom. Well, hyssop was also used in acts of purification. They would take a bundle of hyssop branches and they would dip it in the blood and the water and they would sprinkle it out in, in, things of, in times of purification upon the people. So this was a, uh, a very clear image of being washed and being purified by our Heavenly Father. So David says, Wash me, purify me, cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. So David's focus here is upon God's ability and God's power. He doesn't go to God saying, Lord, I've done a terrible thing. I hope you can make this right. I hope you can clean me up. He says, no, if you wash me, I will be clean. If you seek forgiveness from the Lord, you will be forgiven. It's not a maybe. It's not a, I wonder if I've sinned too much for the Lord to forgive me. No, that's not what it is. Remember, Paul says his grace is more than abundant. More than abundant. So he says, if you cleanse me, I'll be clean. Confidence in the power of God. And not just clean enough. Now, I know this is Alabama, and we don't see this so often. But everybody from up north knows what it's like to go out first thing in the morning after it has snowed all night and it looks pure, and it looks clean, and that snow is just white as all get out. And that's what it says here. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Not just clean, not just white, but whiter than snow. All of my sins will be gone. All of them can be cleansed. Now, some of us have real questions about whether Because we see in other people, Lord, do you really cleanse all those sinful habits? Do you really get rid of all of those things in our lives? Because we see in others, and maybe even in our own selves, this struggle with these habits that goes on on year after year. And and we wonder, really, is is there any hope that I can get rid of these things in my life? Are there any hope that that God can can overcome my sinfulness in these areas? Well, he can overcome the sinfulness in all of our areas. But it is a requirement for us to come to him with a certain attitude. David says, with a broken and contrite heart. Not with a heart that says, Lord, I am sick of this sinful behavior that I'm stuck in. I can't seem to get out of it. Can you do something about it? I'm going to give you till 4 o'clock. Okay, to cleanse me of this. That's not what he says. You've got to come to the Lord broken and, and, just, and just pour yourself out before the Lord. You have to come with a contrite spirit. And it says what? This will be for next week, but it says, he says, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Start from scratch. If you start from scratch, there's hope for me, Lord. If you come and clean me and strengthen me and empower for me, Lord, I want to be a new creation. I want to have a new heart and a new attitude. You can do this, Lord. Spurgeon says, 
Sometimes it has been asked, why do you talk so much about the atoning work of Jesus Christ and his cleansing? Why could not God be generous and forgive sin just outright without his work? Why should he require the shedding of blood, the endurance of great suffering? Sinner, if you had a right sense of sin, you would never ask such a question. In asking that question, you speak upon the supposition that God is such a one as yourself, but he hates sin, and he sees in sin such loathsomeness as you have never dreamed of. There is to him such horrible abomination and such heinousness, such a detestableness and uncleanness about sin that he could not possibly pass it by. If he did, he would bring upon his own character the suspicion that he was not holy. Had God passed by human sin without a substitutionary sacrifice, the seraphim must have suspended their song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The judge who winks at sin is the abettor of sin. If the supreme ruler does not punish sin, he becomes himself a patron of all guilt. So not only does God promise to punish sin, he also says, I've made a way for it to be cleansed, and it's through the sacrifice of my son. And finally, in verse 8, David says, Make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. It's an old Puritan hymn, the Puritan prayer that says, Lord, break me and then build me up again. See, that's what a contrite heart says. A contrite and broken heart says, Lord, you break me. Break me in whatever fashion it takes to get rid of this sin in my life and get rid of these habits, get rid of this mindset, whatever it is, and then you build me up and those broken things will rejoice and give you glory. That's a tough prayer to pray. Because if you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I am ready for this, you don't know what he's going to bring into your life to break you of this. You don't know what this might mean. But David, who has gone through these things, said... Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Why? Because it has been the Lord's work in David's life in an effort to cleanse him and make him holy. So let's pray. Lord, these are are tough words for us today. They're freeing words as well. For there is forgiveness, and that is guaranteed in Scripture. That those who come to you, confess their sin, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we will find forgiveness. We will find healing. That sin which comes from Adam will be forgiven and cleansed. That does not mean we will no longer face sin, we will no longer face temptation. But your power is now there within us conquer those things or the process is a lifelong process it would be a breeze if in an instant you would just make us holy and and we wouldn't have to worry about this we wouldn't have to worry about temptation we wouldn't have to worry about this struggle but that's not the way it is in this world you leave us here to struggle with these things to you say work out your salvation with fear and trembling you have saved us and now the time for us in our lives 
is to struggle with these things, to overcome these things, because you have made the way. None of us can sit here and say, oh, it's too much for me, we can't do it, the Lord can never change me. Yes, he can in an instant. And perhaps the day is today for you, that you have struggled with something for so long, and now you say, Lord, my heart is broken here. I have no other place, no other where to turn but to you. Come Cleanse me with hyssop, because if you cleanse me, I will be clean. If you forgive me, I will be forgiven. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.